Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. Hey, how are you doing? Before we get started today, I do have a favor to ask of all of you. I did start a channel over on YouTube in the last year, year and a half or so, And yeah, I'm really trying to promote that. And the reason being is I think the content that I'm putting out here, you know, we're doing all right with some of these guests for coming on. And I think it deserves to be put in front of more people. And one of the best ways, of course, of doing that is through a platform like YouTube. Now, if you do interact with these videos on YouTube, that algorithm loves it. And that's the only way that it knows to continually share that content, put it in front of more people. So yeah, I could be a little bit biased here, but I think, you know, finding out about some of these careers is great for young people. It's great for mid-career professionals. So yeah, like, subscribe, it would help a ton. All right, well, let's get into this episode today. Hey, welcome to the program. For listeners who tune in regularly to Life As A, you'll know that I make statements all the time about the future is now. You know, what I mean by that is that we are truly living in this futuristic moment. You know, industries are being flipped upside down. A lot of times it's been driven by technology and a lot of other factors. Well, it's those other factors that I kind of want to look at today. And we're going to be looking at this industry or sector of finance and how it's been flipping and changing and reinventing itself. And to be honest, it's been happening for the last 20 years under this movement of ESG. You might be familiar with that, environmental, social, and corporate governance. Basically, a lot of the values that we as citizens hold, you know, some of these companies are starting to take notice. And, you know, oftentimes consumers are letting companies know what matters to them. And because of this movement, because of it gaining such foothold within that whole sector, it's really shifting and changing things around. For example, We have new roles and responsibilities carved out or have been carved out within investment management companies. And that's what we have today for you. We have this great guest. Her name is Kelly Hirsch, and she's with this company, Van City Investment Management. And basically, her job is to analyze companies and decide which ones to invest in, which ones not to, but doing so under this ESG, again, Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance Framework. So in the conversation, we get into it all, you know, how some of these decisions are made. We get a little bit of a history lesson, how this whole ESG thing came about and why it matters, quite frankly. So there's a lot of topics covered, but I think it's going to be really valuable and useful to anyone who, one, has an interest in finance, but two, also wants to, you know, attach themselves to some of the values that they care for. Well, let me more formally introduce Kelly to you and we can get started. Kelly Hirsch is the head of ESG, Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance with Van City Investment Management, VCIM. She joined the firm in 2016 as an ESG analyst and worked closely with senior members of the ESG team for five years before taking on the head of ESG position in 2021. 
Kelly oversees VCIM's overall sustainability and ESG integration strategy, including their net zero commitment and the adoption of the Finance for Biodiversity Pledge. She is also responsible for leading a team of analysts in the assessment of the ESG practices of public traded companies, the evaluation of risks and opportunities associated with emerging ESG issues, and the creation and execution of shareholder engagement strategies. Shareholder engagement is a key component of VCIM's ESG process and is a major focus area of their responsible investing approach. Now, Kelly herself has over 10 years of financial service experience and holds a Bachelor of Environmental Science from the University of Guelph and a Diploma in Accounting from the University of British Columbia. She is a CFA charterholder certified as a Responsible Investment Specialist with the Responsible Investment Association and registered with the BC Securities Commission as an Associate Advising Representative. In her spare time, She gets out into nature as much as possible, whether hiking through the alpine or kayaking up an inlet to a marine campsite. She is passionate about traveling the world and believes that the variety of perspectives gained from visiting different cultures and environments is a valuable experience that directly translates into better leadership and decision making. So with all that stated, here's my conversation with Kelly Hirsch. All right, so welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Kelly? Doing pretty well. How about you? Yeah, excellent. Really good. Really good. I'm excited for this talk. I'm quite enthused about this topic. You know, it's a bit of a personal sort of passion point for me. So I'm really eager to hear more about it all from you, of course. And I do have this first segment lined up. It is something called Coloring Wikipedia. As my listeners know, it's a segment where I just read off a definition or a topic related to what the guest does. And that's what I've done here is I have this topic of ESG down. And uh, I'm going to read it off for you. And as I'm doing so, just consider some of the points and then you can uh, add your thoughts after. Does that sound all right? Sounds great. ESG, Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance, is a framework designed to be embedded into an organization's strategy that considers the needs and ways in which to generate value for all organizational stakeholders, such as employees, customers, suppliers, and financiers. And there are three dimensions. One, environmental aspect. Data is reported on climate change, greenhouse gas emissions, biodiversity loss, deforestation, reforestation, pollution mitigation, energy efficiency, and water management. Number two, social aspect. Data is reported on employee safety and health, working conditions, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and conflicts and humanitarian crises, and is relevant in risk and return assessments directly through results in enhancing or destroying customer satisfaction and employee engagement. And finally, number three, governance aspect. Data is reported on corporate governance, such as preventing bribery, corruption, diversity of board of directors, executive compensation, cybersecurity, and privacy practices and management structure. A bit of a mouthful. Did stumble through it a little bit there. But uh, first take, what do you think of that? I actually, I think did a pretty good job of covering it. It's funny, I actually do joke with, um, it was actually with my physio once when he asked me what I did for work. It's never the simple. I'm like, he just says, oh, I'm a physiotherapist. And then me, it's the ESG and it tur- and basically that what you do you, you read off a Wikipedia definition. Much I like should that. probably just I might <laughs> think you're like recording now Send a- and then you tell people. <laughs> I just listen to this and you, you yeah, play that, on that. No, um, but yeah, no, I would say that's a pretty good um, overview of, yeah, because it's sort of, it's a hard, sometimes it's a hard 
it's hard to define it. Like it's hard to sort of box it in, but it really is that like holistically looking at these different factors. And I mean, in the lens that I'm using it, like, you know, in investments is really looking at how, you know, sort of these factors can impact, you know, a company's, it's both the financial, like the, both the direct financial performance, but also, you know, I mean, reputational risks, brand risk, certain things that can may not be in, a, like, I'm not going to say, you know, it's an immediate, everything isn't necessarily like, okay, we're going to see the stock price, you know, go down, right. like, you know, sort of over the next like quarter. But some of these things are the things that you can sort of identify companies that maybe have, like, are, have looming risks in the future that they're not addressed, you know, sort of that are likely going to turn into financial headwinds for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was considering the definition itself and what to read off, there was a simpler version. I was like debating whether or not to to go with this heavier one. But I really like that idea of like all these different variables. I think just reading them all off like that really gives people this Mm -hmm. overview, this really complete overview of all the different things that are considered. And there's a lot. There's a lot there. And I mean, I couldn't imagine we're going to get into this later on, you know, about how you go about your job, you know, in, in measuring some of these things or at least evaluating them. But uh, that was one thing that struck me personally, and I'm sure for listeners as well. Really quickly, was there anything that was, I don't know, that you'd like to, to emphasize amongst some of these variables, perhaps, or even de-emphasize? I think the one, I mean, it's touched on a bit, but I think the one thing is that a lot of these are interconnected. I think it's the one, because like sometimes I've, I've seen it in the field, this sort of you can either get the focus on the environment or you know focusing on the social aspects or the governance aspects and really i think it's hard to take any one on their own and i think that's an important like i don't i guess maybe the beginning of the definition kind of got into that you know like impact on stakeholders but i think that's a really important piece because you know sort of often let's say you'll see with if you strengthen, like for instance, in certain regions, if you strengthen like indigenous land rights, which can you know be done through like let's say, you know better governance structures, that can actually help you prevent you know biodiversity loss with like more traditional land practices. Just as one example, if you just look at any issue in isolation, you can sometimes miss the big picture. I really like that point because, yeah, I think first glance, most people would do that and maybe even myself included. But if you stop and consider it a little bit more deeply, of course, all of these things or many of these things are interconnected in those ways. All right. Well, maybe you could shift on over into another segment here, a day in the life. And it is as it sounds. I mean, I'd love to hear, you know, what takes your time? You know, what, what, what are you sinking yourself into the most versus say the least within your day? Oh, that's a good question. I always strive and ask this question before my people and always struggle sometimes because my days can look very different. Maybe actually a good way to start is looking at, um, there's kind of two, I, I put most of the work we do in two main buckets. There's the, like what I would call, it's quite broad, but I would call ESG analysis where it's really, you know, looking at like looking at companies, looking at, you know, over like looking over the portfolios, looking at like ESG risks, evaluating, you know, so sort of how companies are managing, you know, how they're exposed to the, you know, sort of what their exposure is, um, you know, are there opportunities? I mean, looking, you know, holistically at the portfolios and their car, you know, looking, let's say doing like, you know, carbon footprinting. And then, but I mean, at the same time, it's hard again, like the, it leads into the second category 
But then the second big piece of work would be um, shareholder engagement. And some people call it shareholder advocacy. Um, it's done in different uh, sort of different names for it. Often it comes, it can often come from that, you know, ESG analysis work, but it'll be, you know, sort of actually talking to companies, talking to senior leaders at companies, filing shareholder proposals, proxy voting, some of these things, you know, really, it's really about engaging with company leadership and, you know, the relevant individuals at companies on particular issue, either it could be like we've identified conflict near a company's uh, site I mean, sort of with like the local community. And so we'll reach out to you to understand how the company's managing that. So that might be something that I'd be doing. But then also, we're also always looking to advocate for best practices as well. So it might be like, for instance, uh, sort of a project I was working on. Well, it's a multi-year project and it's continuing where, um, you know, shareholders, we have the right to file shareholder proposals with the companies that we hold, depending on the jurisdiction. And um, it's generally a North American phenomenon, but you, you do see it in Europe as well a bit. We want to see Canadian companies start disclosing the CEO to median worker pay ratio. And so that's something where, you know, it's a lot of it's combination of like a lot of research behind that to really un- you know, sort of understand the issue. And so some of my days, you know, spent researching, some of it spent coaching analysts on my team for, you know, sort of own research. Then, you know, I mean, then having discussions about that research, you know, and sort of what what that actually means, because it's often unclear. Because honestly, I don't want to be making decisions in a vacuum and on my own. There's so many different viewpoints. And so, I mean, it can be, we'll also sometimes be reaching out, like we're, we have a call scheduled tomorrow with a doctor, actually, uh, who's a teacher at UBC a Hospital to understand uh, more about like a surgical system that we're, you know, debating on investing in. And then having meetings, you know, with leadership at the company. Um, and then going and presenting at that meeting, you know, and, and presenting to all shareholders. So that's why sometimes it's hard to say there's like, like, what am I doing in, you know, sort of a typical day? Yeah, yeah. The thing that strikes me about all of this is the investigative aspect to it all. And I think that might be something that people might not necessarily fully grasp or understand before, say, listening to somebody like yourself explain it that way. Because I think maybe stereotypical view would be like, okay, you're just analyzing companies, you're looking at a spreadsheet, you're looking at numbers, and you're making quick decisions. Maybe not quick, but relatively, you know, quick decisions. But this this seems to me, like the way you're spelling it out here, a lot more drawn out, a lot more in depth, you know, having interviews with people, investigating things, and, and really trying to come up with conclusions to all of this. And then internally discussing a lot of dialogue on these topics. And certainly it makes all the sense in the world, again, as you lay it all out here. But I think it's something that would be lost on somebody who doesn't really fully understand what the job could be about. So I really, really like that insight. I think that's really quite valuable for anyone who's interested in this particular field. So I would say that I think the some of the misconceptions where people may not be looking, may not think, you know, are thinking of it as spreadsheet, throwing in numbers, etc. come from the, there is a big portion of the industry that really are just relying on. So you have like rating providers that much like there's bond. Yeah, um, like that was what I was kind of thinking of how it would be done. Yeah. So you have like, you know, your bond rating providers. And so there are ESG rating providers, um, MSCI and Sustainalytics, two of some of the most well-known. So they'll come out with aggregate scores. And so that's what like a lot of people often will, you will see ESG investing done like that. Just taking this aggregate score, 
But I mean, like, for instance, we do access data from, you know, sort of these providers, but for us, it's really looking at the analysis piece, because we really believe that that rating piece that a lot of some, you know, is labeled as ESG, it, you can't take a lot of these things, like you can't compare, like you can't put them into one. You can't quantify everything, right? Is really what you're probably getting at here. There's certain things that like, it's tough to put a number value to. Like some of those variables that we were reading off in the definition, it would be really tough to, to do so, I would assume. Yeah. And if you do, like in that stuff that I mean, I'm sure we'll end up getting to, like some of the areas that like, you know, we're looking at doing some of that for, like you're doing that as a carbon footprint. You can't take the carb, like you, you don't offset a carbon footprint with like supply chain management of human rights risks, like, you know, and come to, okay, they're really good at this, but they're really bad at that. And uh, like, you know, go, okay, we'll go A. That's sort of where I think I think that's an important point for listener, you know, listeners that don't know anything about ESG. I'm speaking very specifically to how we approach it. Whereas there are a lot of different strategies and there's a lot of people trying, I think, to fit ESG into the way a lot of fi- you know, finance has traditionally been done. And I think it's really hard when you're looking at you're you're not looking at just num you know you're not looking at the mo- the way money's you know sort of flowing the way income's coming in you know sort of where you have this one metric. I don't think you can put like I you know go back to gov- you know sort of govern different aspects of environmental, social, and governance. I don't think you can take that and come up with one score. Right, right. No, I really like that insight, and I think that's really helpful, as you said, too, for listeners to who are just getting introduced to this topic of ESG and and what this profession could be about. So I think it's really yeah quite helpful. But I do want to shift over to this other segment here, a pathway segment. Maybe we could return to you here and rewind a little bit. You know, off the top, I did introduce to listeners a bit about your past and your history. But it'd be interesting, I think, to hear about how you eventually paired up your passion for the environment and then ultimately, you know, landing within finance. Like, how did you pair up those two things? Was there a certain formative experience in youth that you had, like, you know, relating to, to the environment, you knew you had a passion towards that, but also this other side, like, how did this come together, these two worlds? Yeah, no, it's a great question. My undergrad was not business, was not finance, like it wasn't that I had sort of no background in that. Yeah, environmental science going into finance. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a jump there. Yeah, but, no, uh, totally. The environmental science program. So it was at the time. I don't know. Do I want to age myself here? Um, but, <laughs> uh, at the time, University of Guelph had kind of a really innovative specific program, a Bachelor of Environmental Science. But what really attracted it to me, it really was about this interdisciplinary approach where it was, you know, sort of you could, you kind of, you tr- you'd, Join the degree, like you sort of, okay, I want to be, you know, you're accepted to the environmental science program. You do a bunch of like genetic, you know, sort of the basic first year courses. And you can just, you know, from there, it they allow you to go very different ways with it. Where a lot of, you know, sort of you can go um, different, like agriculture, if you want to focus on like agricultural uh, things, you know, chemistry, um, different pieces. My finance story probably started in first year chemistry. I don't know if, if other people do that, but like, you know, the titration, like you have to put the drops and count the drops until they hit, go like pink. Right. So do that once. Right. And then they're like, okay, so you're going to do that, whatever, however many more times, like this already wasn't fun. Like what? No, you're not, you know, I'm just sort of <laughs> yeah. like, I'm dropping drops and doing this isn't. And that was when, um, that's where actually the interdisciplinary nature of the program was so uh, helpful because what I did find really interesting was more courses on like resource management 
economics policy and like that side of the environment rather than the direct. I realized early on you weren't going to be in a lab. No, I was not going to be in a lab. Like that's just not where my interests lie. Like my interest was very much more. I found it so much more interesting. Um, like particularly, I mean, I ended up doing field research down there, like in the U.S. Southwest on um, water management, and uh, you know, just look at a lot of the human factors and the build. You know, that whole interaction of all these different incentives and the way property rights are structured. Um, you know, that ends up incentivizing different behaviors. And as you can imagine, you know, sort of from there, that was when I really started to look at, like, I, I honestly I would put it as I'm sitting around and I'm just like, people aren't people. I honestly believe, but I'd say, you know, like 99.999% of people want to do the right thing. They have good intentions. You don't have people sitting around in boardrooms plotting how they can, you know, like pollute, like, dump, can we dump lots of chemicals in the river? We can right, like right. high-fiving, yeah. but that's not what's happening. Decisions people are making, they're making the decision based on what makes money and what's easy to do. And so when I look at that, but at the same time, people value a lot of the, you know, the ESG thing, like people value a clean environment. People value, if you ask someone, do you want, you know, sort of someone, do you want some, like someone in forced labor conditions making your clothing? No, like that isn't what people want. And so it was like, to me, it just became very clear that I needed to learn so much more about the finance side of things. I um, studied accounting at UBC. Well, that's where I ended up sort of through there finding um, Van City. And from there, I kind of worked in retail banking until there was an opportunity um, on the ESG side. And yeah, and that's kind of how sort of a long, sorry, that was a very long-winded no, no. It brings it together in the sense of, you know, curiosity, I think, is one thing maybe that, you know, sort of drove you, at least I was picking up on there. It was like you wanted to go a little bit further, find some of these answers, why people are doing what they're doing, why they're making these particular decisions. And then also just getting involved with it, you know, not, rather than observing it, really like speaking to individuals as you laid out before in terms of what you're doing now. Like that sounds like something that drives you those types of interactions and learning more and uh you know positioning yourself to, to to have impact potentially and aligning yourself with a company that can deliver that for others so yeah no i think that it, it all adds up it all adds up and on the topic of esg maybe we could you know segue into this other segment of q a discovery and kind of continue this back and forth returning to esg as a whole i mean you know i understand like from my research on this esg evolved about 20 years ago an initiative from the the United Nations, and it's grown into this like massive now, you know, movement. Maybe that's the wrong word for it, but there's a what U.S. thirty trillion dollars in assets under management under this ESG again movement is what I'm going to call it here. To you, like, what does that rapid growth signify in in your mind? Yeah, it's funny. it's this recognition that this sort of model of like, you know, making sort of growth for the sake of growth and making money for the sake of making money. Because at the end of the day, no one wants to be sitting in a polluted, isolated community, like, you know, like without community connections and that sort of like integrating you know, sort of that, um, you know, people with people having good jobs and having good transportation and having a good oversight where you're eliminating corruption as much as possible, you know, in a human society. And I think that 
the pandemic obviously was a turning point where that really accelerated, where I think people were seeing it before with, I mean, financial crisis. I would say the origins of ESG probably actually go back to the South African apartheid, where you had some um, groups advocating for companies to, you know, sort of divest from South Africa, you know, to help pressure the country uh, on sort of the, you know, sort of horrific uh, system that was in place. And for that, like, that's where there's a little bit of, you know, sort of some, but it kind of, you know, in the 80s, 90s, we were getting into kind of more of Asherah Reagan uh, days and that sort of that movement. And there, maybe actually, I think biodiversity and sort of land use might be a good way to look at this is so you can you can dump lots of pesticides and fertilizers and have terrible man land management practices on a piece of land and you can get more crops out of that land for a short bit of time not sustainable but you'll make more money in the short run but that then you're left with land that's unproductive land that can no longer generate you know the food or you know sort of whatever crop let's say you're making and I think we're starting to see that, like we're seeing both on like, I'd say in the you know, sort of environmental, and that's where I really, I think it's been great to see the focus on biodiversity, because that is a big piece where eventually there's nowhere to run. And I think we're starting, it's becoming like clearer and clearer, like, oh, okay, so like this place is bad and this, and people are seeing those impacts you know, on the social side, Western nations, you know, sort of the impacts of inequality and like housing unaffordability and, you know, sort of some of these sort of systemic changes that it starts to go like, how am I supposed to on my own do something about this? A lot of the money you invest is what ends up driving practices. Companies care about what their shareholders have to say. And I think more people are recognizing that tied to a lot of we're we're really I feel like we're and I because I hate I hate the like planetary bound like you know I mean people have made a million different predictions on like planetary boundaries and you know innovation usually does help us overcome it but I think we're really at a point where we we can like one hundred percent we can fix it so I feel like the timing it sort of hit and really helped accelerate that where people got like, right, like this isn't, you know, sort of the system as it is, isn't working. And it's not about throwing the whole system out, but it's about like, how do we refine it? And I think that's something where ESG invest, like, you know, sort of investing, not just saying, I don't care. I just want to make money. I think a lot of people are recognizing that we're not going to have the world that we want if that's all we're focusing on. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, there's all these other social factors that play into this, I think, you know, you could even like go back to uh, social media, you know, and just like power to the people in a sense where people are getting informed right or wrong. I'll throw that qualifier in there. It's obviously that you have a lot of misinformation there. But at the same time, like what's happening, I mean, we all can see this, people are sharing their voice. And when companies aren't doing the right thing, you know, finger quoting this, but like, if they're not doing the right thing at times, people aren't afraid to call them out on that as well. And it kind of, I think whether you're a shareholder or whether you're not, you know, like I think these companies have to kind of keep their ear to the ground and they have to be aware of these things. Cause you know, the PR hits that they could take for not, you know, showing their values or, or having them truly defined or 
you know, actually making meaningful changes that are going to be a benefit to people and the planet moving forward. You know, I think that's a big part of it. And I do have this other question that kind of like segues into all of this, where this other notion of ESG, I mean, some people, the critics might look at this as being, you know, a greenwashing exercise and the actual value of, of what ESG is, you know, is quite negligible. But as someone who is deeply embedded into it, much as you are, you know, I suspect that you'd have a different opinion on all of this. And I'd love to hear that side as well. For sure. Those are legitimate concerns on the greenwashing. I'm not going to say that that's not. That is for sure. As in any emerging industry, like, and it's still, it's quite new in terms of, like you said, I mean, yeah, we can trace it back to the seventies, but like, I mean, effectively even sort of, you know, uh, like around 2000 is about, and I mean, even then it was a pretty slow. Yeah. Relatively speaking, it's a short history we're, we're talking about right now. Yeah, exactly. And so I think we're really at that point where, I mean, it's going back. I, I, I don't have the years off the top of my head, but if you look at like financial disclosures back in the day, before they were regulated, before there was sort of any standardization, anyone could tell, like you could say, you could put any like figure out there to, hey, invest in my company. Like, look at the stuff here. And I feel like ESG is really at that point where there are, but the thing at that time, actually on the financial side, I would say at that time, there were people doing the right thing. And so I think, but, you know, then there are people because of the you know, lack of like standardization, lack of regulation, there were people who weren't. And I feel like right now that's exactly where ESG is at. And sometimes I think that does come down to the definition of it. Like people sort of just like going back to, let's say, you know, the single rating, like and putting that in and then calling a fund ESG. I think most people wouldn't actually consider like that's not what they think of when they think of ESG. And that isn't everything. And that isn't that some people doing ESG. And that's where I think we will actually see a weeding out. And that's what like I'm hopeful that that's, you know, sort of the these growing pains don't taint the whole industry because it's so important with finance, which drives so much of what we do. And I think people can relate to that on an individual level. And, you know, sort of you, can you afford your home? Can you afford food? You know, like doing your budget. And so I think that we're really at a point where people under understand that you have to be looking holistically at like the need that we have as a society. And I think ESG offers a lot of promise to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's needed, right? I think that's what you're driving at. It's needed. And yes. it, it, it needs refinement. I mean, because it is still growing. It's still the 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 industry, the sub-industry itself is still evolving. And the refinement of that in terms of the standards, the, the, the variables that are we're looking at, how we're measuring impact, all these things, like it's still coming along. We don't have all the answers just yet. At least that's the 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 sort of the feeling that I'm picking up on right now. Yeah. This, my basic or limited understanding of it all. Thank you for summarizing. That's exactly what I'm trying to get across that it's, we're at this point. And I think that is, I mean, that's part of the tech, new technology we need. That's part of the innovation we need is to be able like measure different things properly. I'm looking right now, trying to like footprint the portfolios for like their biodiversity impacts. And I wouldn't say there's amazing data out there right now, but I think with a lot of technology can actually help that. Yeah, it's all still evolving. As the tech evolves, you know, 
that gets more refined, well, then some of the data coming out associated with that is also fed into the system, which can add clarity. In terms of like these variables, you know, off the top when I was reading that Wikipedia definition, there were several, quite a few, in fact. Like, this is something that I was kind of curious about. Like, how do you go about investigating, again, we use that word, these companies or, or companies that you're interested in, in learning more about with so many different variables there? How do you go about analyzing? Like, I, I just, I get this impression of overwhelm. Like, you almost have to pick a few or a handful and then go after those. Because otherwise, like, I, these could take years and years and years to, like, suss out. And you're still probably never coming up with this, like, definitive answer. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually going back to, like, when I'm making a decision, like, I never know for sure. You know, there's never 100% certainty in any decision. Um that I'm making. But so that's where we actually, I mean, we have an internally developed framework that we use like to, as a lens to look at companies. Um, and then it's really, and I, I'll just, I'll do the quick run through right now of it. Um, it's like, you know, employee relations, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, environmental uh, management, um, community relations, uh, corporate governance, human rights and supply chains and sustainable products and services, which really help sort of narrow down kind of to focus that. But at the same time, I mean, it's a broader, you're often taking it, taking into account, you know, the specific sector, you know, company that you're in, that you're looking at certain things that, you know, sort of certain areas you're more likely to have issues with. You know, with a mining company, you're always going to have more, you're going to be looking more at some of, you know, their community relations practices, um, you know, sort of how are they met, like, what's the community consultation? Are they ensuring that, you know, economic benefits from the project are actually, you know, it's actually benefiting the community. We want to find companies that are minimizing the, you know, the negative impacts on land, but there's going to be. And so it's like, that's something where you'd be focusing on that when, let's say, you're looking at a pharmaceutical company. Um, you might be more looking at their governance um, piece because you tend to have a lot more um, issues in that sector, like access, uh, access pr provisions, um, looking at, you know, sort of some of the false marketing uh, issue, you know, sort of some of those things. Like, so it's a combination of having this, like, at least for us, like I'm, I'm speaking for ESG, uh, BCIM. We have this seven part framework that really does apply, you know, that can be applied to any sector, any company. You can take courses that will help you look at issues. You can, you know, do, it, it's not to say that there's not things you can do ahead of time, but a lot of it really is getting in and working with people and talking to people. And that's why actually going back to, you know, when we make decisions, I never want to be making a decision on my own because there are so many, like someone else may have something I just haven't thought of. Like my life experience doesn't, you know, if we're looking at an elevator company, like, you know, sort of my life experience, I don't have a lot of, you know, sort of background on like safety, you know, sort of systems in there. And, and so that's something where I may want to talk to someone um, who has that, like it, and get like different opinions and different viewpoints, because it is, it is so broad. It's so, yeah. And like, always being humble, I think too, like that I could be wrong. Like I may just not be looking at something the right way. And so I'm always open to new information. For instance, we currently exclude nuclear power and we've over the past few months been doing a really deep dive on that. Does that make sense? We don't want to just be doing that for this, like excluding it for the sake of it. 
yeah, investigating, right? Returning to that word. And it sounds like to me like you have this broad framework that allows you to kind of look at these companies and then these issues. And then also, too, it just comes down to some experience, you know, of, of maybe even like flagging companies within certain industries as well based on their, their past histories or what they've done, good or bad. And then getting into that investigative work, speaking with people, you know, whether it's externally with the clients or potential clients themselves, and then, you know, leaders of these companies, and then internally having dialogue, as you were just sort of alluding to there, with people maybe on your team that have a little bit more of an expertise within a certain area and and gaining insights there and just putting it all together and then, you know, (laughs) and making decisions based off of that is, is, is how it sounds to me, at least. That's a great summary of my like long, <laughs> long <laughs> No, no, yeah, no, great. <laughs> no, it, no. I think like it, it, like hearing what you're explaining kind of leads me to all these things. So it's, it's, I think it's helpful for listeners. I think as well to, to to hear these different insights and then allow them to to consider all of this as well. And I think this leads into this next question, you know, really nicely is that this common misnomer about finance as a whole is that it's like dollars and cents driven, and to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, certainly it, that's part of it, and that's truthful in a certain respect. But as you know, I mean, our economic systems and structures, the way they're built, they respond not only to just dollars and cents and numbers and figures, there's a lot of other variables like emotions and and a whole bunch of other things that drive markets, right? And obviously, you know, ESG fits into all of this. We're just speaking about, you know, some of the data points within ESG not fully being evolved, but still, you know, having influence. And then also too, you have this emotional sentiment, I think, attached to this environmental movement where people feel a particular way about the future, you know, optimistically or, or, or not so optimistic. And unfortunately, these days, when it comes to environmental matters, you know, I'd reckon that a lot of people aren't feeling as optimistic as what they'd like to feel about things, you know, it's reaching this critical juncture. So coming back around to this question, like, I'd love to hear your take on ESG and how it fits into this, like what kind of influence it has on people and moving markets and, and, and whatnot. Oh, that's, yes. It's a big question, I know. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, million dollar question. In a sense, actually, we saw the run at like in 2020, you did see a lot of money shift to companies with, you know, ESG that were clearly tied. And that, that does get to the emotions and the sort of how people look at things, like a lot of renewable energy companies, we saw, you know, sort of a lot of money move that way. And then, you know, the Russian invasion and, you know, sort of money moved out of that. It definitely moves markets. But I think that actually in some ways does go back to the point of the data that we have for ESG is not, it, it needs to be better. Like that's where the focus needs to be on right now is improving that ability to like, I hate to use the word quantify in whatever, not necessarily, it depends on the what it is, but quantify or come up with like a, a metric of some sort for different ESG factors that would be more comparable sort of across companies. I think that would be very helpful for taking some of that emotional side out, but I think you'll always have a bit of that. I mean, yeah, it's always going to be there, right? I think like that's the, the variable of, of just humans being involved in, in, in any type of financial system is like that, that aspect's always there, you know, whether we want it to be or not at times. 
Well, actually, I mean, I would say uh, this is not quite that, but it, so it was actually a company we were looking at um, that installs uh, private pools. And most of their, but most of their business is in the U.S. Southwest with like more than half of the revenues coming from uh, like California, Arizona, Texas, all areas with like very high water risk. Honestly, it goes back to my like, you know, sort of environmental science days, but it's something I think people are generally following. Colorado River at, you know, sort of all time lows, more water has been distributed than we're finally hitting the water on paper is not as good as actual water. You know, you can have a document that says you have this much water, but uh, like this is your water allotment for the year. But um, if the water isn't there, the water isn't there. Going back to the private pool company. Private pools, honestly, if you're looking on an aggregate, they don't use that much water. Most water in that region is like, I can't, it's about like 85% goes to agriculture. So, I mean, if you're looking like agricultural uses are going to be one of your big focuses, but also then you have urban, you know, like urban uses um, for like waste management, you know, sort of drinking water, all those things. And so, and like, you know, golf course irrigation and that stuff is using a lot more water than private pools. But I think sentiment wise, like when we're looking at this, like people go, when you're having to make hard decisions you know, you got your paper water, but that's not working because you need the actual water. And you're you're literally being forced to make hard decisions as to how you're actually going to cut. Honestly, when I was studying this decades ago, they knew that like there was sort of this on the scientific community, very aware that more water was being used than the system had. But private pools, sure, they're not using that much. That's going to be one of the first things to go, in my opinion, because sentiment. People go, they go like, really? Private, like, I'm being asked to cut back, you know, sort of like my showers and, you know, sort of I'm being charged this much more for water and you're filling a private pool. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. There you so go. I think like some of that psychological sentiment always factors in. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I think that really clearly lays it out right there. I think that's a perfect example and illustration of that point. I do want to shift over into this other middle segment here, water cooler story segment. And, uh, you know, I understand from your your history and, and researching a little bit about you, like you enjoy travel, you enjoy getting out there, learning about different cultures and whatnot. And that's also, in a way, a bit of investigative work, whether you're like consciously aware of yourself doing that when you're on holidays but how it connects up to your work. I think there is, there is that connection there. And maybe, I don't know, if you have a story related to that in any way, shape, or form, I think it'd be interesting for listeners to hear. Yeah, because that is something I always, I love travel and for like so many reasons, but like a big part of that is that it's, it's really interesting. You know, you only know what you know in your world, right? Like in whatever geography you're living in, in the community you're living in, and you know, the system that you're living in. And so that's actually something where I've, I've loved to travel and just, you know, sort of see different, different societies are set up. And there is, you know, it was actually this past Christmas. Um, I was in Costa Rica uh, on the like Western Pacific, sort of on the South side. It's called like Golfo Dulce, but let's say Osa Peninsula might be the like most well-known if any listeners there are, uh, are uh, familiar with the region. And uh, so I was actually there doing a uh, kayak trip. I worked with a kayak guy who does kayak tours in the winter there for like 30 years. He's very dedicated to ensuring that he works with like local providers um, of, you know, different services. You know, when you're going on like a week long trip, you're, you're going staying at different places. 
one of the places we were staying at, this lovely, lovely family, there was a marine biologist, like, in the family. They're right there on, like, the coast. But, you know, the, the place was, like, the docks wearing down. They could sort of see it kind of, it, it's, the place is getting pretty run down. But they also, what they're struggling with is basically their um, boat, the motor uh, died. And they don't have, I mean, especially after the pandemic, um, where there were, you know, there was no, tra- they were obviously very heavily dependent on tourism. And so that was already a financial strain. And then their motor dies on their boat. And so they can't take people out on like boat tours. And so they don't have a lot of activities at the place. So it's hard to get people to come, you know, stay at the place, you know, and it turns into this vicious cycle where they're just getting enough money, you know, just to feed the family, you know, sort of feed the family, roof over their head, bury that sort of subsistence level. Whereas getting a new motor would be like, I think my guy was saying something like $16,000. Or, you know, as a capital investment, you know, this is not, it's you know, not leisure, you know, like pleasure boat. This would drive revenue, would make their property more, you know, sort of more desirable to other tourists, you know, which would help drive business, um, you know, get more money in. It'd be the sort of, you know, capital investment. You know, when we talk about, you know, basic financial principles, you know, you don't take on credit card debt, you know, you don't buy the TV, but you bought, you know, buying this motor would be really beneficial and could, you know, help break that vicious circle that they're in. But it's really hard for them just where they're in Costa Rica. There aren't really mechanisms where they're at to be able to actually get a loan for that. It's just not something that they can do. Because it was honestly my first, sorry, I'm like, that's a clear thing. That's a small amount. You go to the bank. I'm sure you can like work something out when it's for a business and, but that isn't possible there. And so I think it's really important yeah, to understand that also helps like understand the decisions that people have to make. They're the, the situation that they're in and yeah. And just how important like the financial system is to shaping out like, you know, social and environmental outcomes. Yeah, I love that. I, I, it's that type of insight and that type of thought that, like you said, can really kind of like, again, whether you're conscious of this in the moment when you're observing all of this or not, I mean, like that, 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 that does definitely links up to what you're doing and allows you a deeper level of insight and allow you to ultimately make different types of choices and decisions in your own work when you can kind of like pair up all these you know, different topics or different issues that for some might be like, completely disparate, not linked in any way, shape or form. But if, if you're able to do so, that's clarity. Ultimately, I guess that's the word I'm driving at right now is, is clarity. And that can help you in your work and in your job. So I think it's, it's a point that like, I think is often lost of you're getting out into the world, no matter what you're doing, whether you're in like ESG, whether you're in investment management or something else. I mean, the more you can kind of like take on all these different worldviews, especially ones that are like not originating within your own culture, within your own region. I think it just opens up your mind to a lot of different things and can really impact and shape the work that you do in, in a lot of different ways. So yeah, I really like that story. We are moving along at a really nice clip here. And I do want to shift into this last segment a crystal ball segment, as the name implies, we're looking to the future, you know, trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And returning to the topic of ESG itself, like how do you see this movement evolving? How do you see the industry taking shape even further than what it has right now? Yeah, 
feel like I'm going to sound like a broken record here, um, but uh, I do see regulation, standardization, having better ways to quantify and you know, sort of get metrics for some of these things. I think there's a clear industry-wide, there is this like clear understanding that we need to do better there. And there is, you know, there is technology coming along to do that. Um, on that side, I think on kind of maybe I'll go, I don't know if existential or I'll go, I'll go sort of like that, you know, sort of broader um, piece is that I think that ESG, and I, I don't know, it's funny, I sometimes wonder, I'm like, is it going to be called something else? Because, you know, different like things evolve into different names. But I'd say, I mean, the principles behind ESG, I do think that much like things, hundreds of, you know, practices that were acceptable hundreds of years ago, you know, in terms of like, get your child working on the farm, you're not sending them to school, like, you know, sort of some of the, it was just standard, people just accepted that, it wasn't, you didn't go like, oh, you have your like six-year-old, you know, sort of like working on. That's child services, yeah. Yeah, like that, that wasn't, uh, it was just like, yeah, of course, I had kids to work on the farm, like that. And we've been in this for, uh, I mean, going decades now of really our financial markets being driven just by kind of, you know, like numbers and money and this sort of idea that it'll somehow, well, if you make money, that'll, it'll all work it, itself out. That focusing on, you know, money is the representation of these other things. It'll just, everything will work its way out. I think one of actually the greatest inventions, the way that financial systems enabled actually a lot of human progress that I don't think otherwise could have happened. And so I think a lot of ESG will, will still get factored into the money side, but I think there will be a clearer way that we need to actually figure out a way to bring in these things that right now are intangible that we actually really value. What's the metric for this? And how do we measure it? I think these are the types of questions that we are you know, pontificating on earlier in our conversation. I think this is where maybe technology is going to come in and, and help shift and transform this movement, this whole ESG movement into something more meaningful and allow some of these models to take shape and take hold in different ways where we have a you know better analysis of some of these factors, some of these variables. Perhaps that's where AI comes into the fold. Time will tell on all this, but it's you know fascinating all the same. However, I do have to say, Kelly, I mean, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today about all of these things. And I'm sure listeners are really, really going to appreciate all the wonderful insights that you shared. So thanks again. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, having me. No, this was a pleasure. Don't feel like I'm working right now. I'm just <laughs> having a nice chat. Well, for those interested in learning more about Kelly and her work, you can do so via the Van City Investment Management VCIM website. You can also find her on LinkedIn. And for reference, all this information, including links, will be included in the show notes. And if you like today's show, please be sure to share. You can also show further support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you access your podcasts. And then lastly, you can check out all of these conversations on our newly launched YouTube channel, which includes actual video highlights of the talks. And finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life as a, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.